0: This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is Luke chapter 15, beginning at verses 1 to 3, and then skipping forward to the second half of verse 11 and continuing through verse 32. It's the lectionary reading for the fourth Sunday of Lent in the year C cycle of the lectionary. It happens to be one of the scripture readings for March 27, 2022. This particular story from Luke's Gospel is all too familiar. This story, along with the parable of the Good Samaritan, are probably two of the most common stories understood by people inside and outside the church of Jesus' teaching. This is the parable of the so-called Prodigal Son. Now, the story of the prodigal is set in the larger context of Luke 15, where Jesus, in those opening verses, verses 1 to 3, is being questioned about why he keeps the company of various individuals, such as tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus responds to this question by telling three different stories. And the story of the so called prodigal son is the third of those stories. There's also a parable of um, a lost coin. There's also a, a parable of a lost sheep. So this story is set among two others, parables of lost things being found. The question that I'll raise here that I will also raise again at the end is what is the focus of these three parables? Is the focus on things being lost or things actually being found? The parable opens in Luke chapter 15 verse 11 with A man who had two sons, it says in verse 32, and the younger of the sons comes to his father and requests his share of the inheritance. Now, the way inheritance would be uh, broken up upon the father's death was pretty simple that there was a double share given to the eldest son. So, if there are two sons here, that means the elder son would have received two thirds of the father's estate, and the younger son would have received one third. So the younger son is basically asking for his third of the estate. Now, there are a lot of implications about this request. And by now, at this point, with two kind of uh, older or adult sons, the father likely would have created uh, in the ancient world what would have been the equivalent of a living trust. So the sons already had their allocation of the estate. So in other words, the older son knew exactly what he was going to get. The younger son knew exactly what he was going to get. But the father still lived off the proceeds of the estate. So what the younger son is really asking for is the liquidation of his share of the estate. Now, this is part of the parable that we don't really understand completely from the cultural experience of the day. We don't know exactly how this happened, but he's basically not just taking the third of the estate that belongs to him, the younger son, upon his father's death but he's also taking the income-generating part of the estate away from his father. So we're not exactly sure what this looks like, but we do know he's asking for something that is incredibly inappropriate. And in other ways, he's forcing the older brother uh, to reckon with a liquidation of the estate prior to the father's death. So it kind of inconveniences everybody. So once the liquidation takes place, the younger son takes his share, the story tells us, and whatever that share was, and he went off and he wasted it. Now in the place that the younger son had gone to, there was a famine and there was no food. But regardless of his finances, there was nothing to eat. So he had spent all of his money and there was a famine and there was nothing to eat. So apparently the younger son went to work as a servant in a foreign land. And the story gets kind of graphic at this point, and it says that the son, the younger son, begins attending to pigs. So we know he had to have been with Gentiles since they're raising pigs. So he's completely forsaken his Jewish identity as the younger son since he's actually tending to pigs, and he has nothing at all to eat, so he's eating the same thing the pigs are eating. And the text in Luke tells us what he's eating, uh, carob pods. Now, in the ancient world, there are two different kinds of carob pods. There were some short, plump ones that were oftentimes used by people for food. And then there were these long, kind of stringy, narrow carob, carob pods that were only used for livestock. And humans really didn't eat these carob pods. And since he's eating that which was being fed to the pigs, we know what kind of carob pods he was eating. So he had literally had nothing to eat. And it's in this moment that the younger son comes to his senses. That's a Hebrew idiom, and it's an act of repentance. By idiom, it means that in the Hebrew culture, to say that someone repented is to say that they came to their senses. So the son reckons that he'll have it better at home uh, than as a servant. So he takes the step in the right direction, and he says, my home is better than here. And so the text is interesting in that it plays out an internal speech that the son plans to give to his father. And then there's the speech that he actually will give his father later. And the only difference between the internal speech of the son and the one he actually gives his father is that he leaves out the statement, treat me as one of your hired laborers. So when he actually comes face to face with his father, that's the part he doesn't tell him. Now, the key passageway here is, is clear enough that there's joy in finding yourself and letting others find you. You know, the journey of the son would have offended all the Jewish listeners of the story. The son is not a son any longer because he's demanded from his father his share of the inheritance, which causes his father to sell that which is income generating to him, and the younger son takes it and he wastes it. Not only is the son not a son any longer, he's not even Jewish any longer in this sense. He's, he's off in a foreign land with Gentiles tending to pigs. I mean, it's the most graphic way Jesus could possibly describe the younger son in terms of how far he has fallen. And so for the listeners of this parable, the younger son deserves nothing. And, and as we read the story, it's like the law of cause and effect tells us that the younger son got exactly what he deserved. But when the younger son returns home, instead... Instead, he finds welcome, he finds healing, he finds restoration and joy. And we'll see in a moment that the work of God's people, the church, is to find lost things, lost people, and rejoice over them. This son's story, this younger son's story, is everyone's story. And if it's not your story in some form, in some way, It might be cause to rethink. Remember, his is a story of being lost and then being found. The parable significantly shifts gears when we get to verse 25. No longer do we have the appearance or the engagement of the younger son. The story completely shifts now to the older son the older brother that stayed at home and kept in his dutiful service to his father. Now, take note that the younger son's story completely fades out of the picture at this point as the parable advances. We know there are two sons, but the older one has yet to make an appearance in the story until verse 25. The narrative about the younger son ends at verse 24. The older son begins at verse 25. Now, the older son was out in the field, it says, working, And that tells us a little bit about the size of the estate, that this estate wasn't an incredibly large estate. While they had servants working for them, it still required the owner of the estate and the sons to be working in the field. So we're not talking about an extravagant or palatial estate here. We're talking about a a family business, if you will, a small business. Now, take note that everything in the story transpired without engagement, advice, or the input of the older son. So everything that happened in this parable, beginning at verse 11, all the way through verse 24, at no point is the older son engaged in it. So the father does what he does, he liquidates the assets, he gives it to the younger son, and the older son never makes an appearance in the story, up until this point. What he does know, well, what he does not know, that so much of what's gone on has even taken place. The, the way the older son is represented in the story is fascinating. Not only is he not part of the transaction of liquidation, it's even when the younger son comes home, the older son doesn't even know what's happened. He doesn't even know his younger brother has returned home. He doesn't know anything until the party is already underway, that the older son has been, well, oblivious to everything that's gone on until the party has already started. He's not even informed about his brother's return by the father or his brother. It's one of the servants that comes and tells the older brother what's happened. So once he came near the house, of course, he hears the commotion of the party that's being thrown. He meets his father and they have a conversation. And the father is pleading with his elder son to come in and celebrate. Uh, But the older son's lens is focused. It's focused on himself. He says something very important in the parable that Jesus tells. The older son says, I have been serving you. And then talks about how dutifully he's been serving. And then he concludes by saying, and you never gave me even a goat. <laughs> we'll talk about the goat and the fatted calf in a moment. But what the son is, older son is trying to frame here is that how is it that the younger son gets a party after what he's done? And you've never given me a celebration like that. Notice the language here. Even in this part of the parable, the older son doesn't address his father. So when his father comes to him, he doesn't address him as father, which culturally in this world is an insult to not greet your father or to salute him with his title when he comes to you. And then when he references his own brother, he says, this son of yours. He doesn't even talk about him as his own brother. You see, in the way in which... Those who heard this parable would have understood the younger son is not even a son and not even Jewish. The older son is the embodiment of that in the story. This son of yours, in other words, the the division has already taken place in the older son's mind. The older son works his mind and his heart towards enmity and division. Despite his brother's return having no effect on him, the older son's inheritance and the estate is unchanged the older son still claims to be treated unfairly. His appeal is to fairness. Now, the Pharisees listening to this story, those religious persons listening to this story, would have been able to deduce Jesus's meaning here. Jesus's company of tax collectors and sinners actually had no effect on them as religious leaders and Pharisees, yet they resented those who had been welcomed and they resent Jesus for welcoming them. And this opens up the key passageway for us here. That self-centered and self-righteousness in our living lead us away from truth. The, the older brother only has one lens, himself. Not only does he want his position as the older son, he wants his brother to stay in his lost position. This is the entitlement that's at work in the story, that the older brother feels threatened by the welcome of his younger brother back home, even though on paper, it has no effect on him at all. And so this goes way beyond entitlement. The older brother is insecure, doubting, and ultimately one who does not trust his father. This is a hard perspective to shake in the story. To be honest, I find that we as followers of Jesus often love the mission of finding lost people in a lost and hurting world in principle, but we often disagree with it in practice. To what degree do we overvalue the found over the lost? In other words, oftentimes we place a a propensity of our energy and our time and our engagement with the people that are already in the life of the church, rather than living out what this parable displays for us, an extravagance of love for those who are actually not in the church yet. Remember, this is a story about an older son, and his story is about being found But as the story goes on, he becomes actually more and more lost. Now, there's one character left in the story, obviously, we haven't talked about yet, that weaves the whole story together. There's only one character in this parable that is present throughout the parable, and that's the father. The great uh, preacher and theologian Fred Craddock asks the question about Why is it that we name all three of these parables in the negative? You know, sometimes if you pick up your Bible, there's a heading in your Bible that will describe each of the parables, and it will say the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. Uh, Craddock says it reveals something about our fixation and the things that focus our attention, that somehow we're so focused on the, the lostness of everything, it's hard for us to engage that which is found. The key to this story is the father, not the younger son, not the older son, but the father who occupies the central narrative. It's the father that aligns to the first story about the shepherd who goes looking for a lost sheep and aligns to the woman who searches her house for a coin that she's lost. We learn something of God's very nature as one who seeks, beckons, and welcomes. You know, the father is asked to give the younger son his portion. And the father's under no obligation to do so. When the younger son came and asked for the inheritance, the father could have said no. You see, there's a way to do what was asked, but the younger son's insult is apparent and clear in asking for it. But rather than protest, the father gives the younger son exactly what he asked for. At no point do we hear about the father's deliberation, his thoughtfulness. We hear nothing about how the father went and counseled with his older son. According to the story, it was just done. Now, when the son returns, the father, it says, sees him at at a distance here. And there's a key word here in this story. And it's this Greek word that's translated that the father felt compassion for him. See, everything pivots on this one word that we translate into English, felt compassion for him. It frames the father's response in all things. And it says in the story that he ran to his son. In, in the Semitic world or the ancient Near Eastern world of Jewish culture, the elder member of the family would never run, for running would expose their legs above their feet. It was considered entirely inappropriate. So when Jesus says that the older father ran, the, I mean the father ran to greet his younger son, that's a powerful statement about how the father regards this younger son, a complete disregard for cultural norm. Now, the younger son returns contrite for what he's done, as we know, but the father acts on his compassion for him. Remember that, that word, that the father felt compassion for him? That compassion immediately translated itself into action. When the younger son comes home, the father says, go get a robe and put it on my son. It could have been the father's robe or the son's robe. The robe we're talking about here is an affirmation of his status as a son. The owners of an estate would wear attire that identified them as owners. And this is the robe we're talking about, giving them a ring, not a signet ring, but rather the ring was a symbol of ownership. Those who owned the estate or property would have a ring. Sandals being placed on his feet in the story is important because servants usually did not wear sandals ever in the house, but the owners did. And then the fattened calf. You know, the, the older son complains that he doesn't even get a goat offered for him. Well, meat was a rare occurrence in the ancient world. Very seldom was meat ever served. It was only served for very special occasions or religious observances. It was extravagant. So the fatted calf is above and beyond the call of duty here. You see, the, the, the whole point of the story is that it's actually a hyperbole. It's a form of exaggeration. That the son falls to such a depth of tending pigs. That's hyperbole. It's an exaggeration of how bad things got for the son. And it's the same way when the son is welcomed home. There's more hyperbole, more exaggeration. That the response of the father is over the top. The robe, the ring, the sandals, the fatted calf. I mean, it's out of control what the father does to welcome his younger son home. And then look at the father's approach to the older son. The the fact that the father did not seek out the older son to share the news is part of the the hyperbole. It's part of the exaggeration in the parable that when the younger son came home, the father didn't go find his older son and say, look, your brother has come home. You see, the father then reminds the older son that his brother's return is no threat to him. Did you hear what 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 the father says in the story? You have always been with me. It's an affirmation of the older son loyalty. And then something very important. The father says, all I have is yours. He's telling him that your inheritance in my estate is still secure. So the father cannot understand why the older son has drawn a line in the sand about this. Because nothing has happened that affects the older son. All that matters here is that someone who is lost is found. This is a matter of death to life. Being lost to being found. And this is the final key passageway for us. Nothing is more important than the lost being found. You see, the father in this parable appears to be driven by healing and reconciliation, not fairness. He has no interest in anything but forgiveness and grace for the younger son. You see, the parable. Is about the very mission of Jesus. We read about it in the Gospels time and again. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Now we can rejoice in that work or we can become embittered by it. Now note the trajectory of the two sons here. One goes from being lost to being found. That's the parable about the younger son. And then there's the other son. On his trajectory. He goes from being found to being lost. This this truth about being found is a value far above life and death because being found is life. God's work is seeking and saving that which is lost in everyone for everyone. Yet the tax collectors and sinners in Jesus's company who heard this parable heard it as a, a, an expression of thankfulness. And they, in turn, were thankful and filled with a sense of gratitude that they could find a place in the company of Jesus. But the Pharisees in Jesus' company were incensed and angered. Yet the story tells us that the father pled with his older son and that Jesus' engagement with these religious leaders who feel as though they're being treated unfairly is to plead with them. Friends, this is not a story about the prodigal son. It is one about a generous father. And God is already on this mission. God is already at work bringing all that which is lost to being found. This is the work of God in the world and consistently and continues to always be that. What remains to be decided for the church and for us as followers of Jesus is if we are on the same mission too if we care about the lost being found as much as God does. That's it for this week. I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.